Hello, welcome to Free Will Science or Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs and I'm here with George Ortega. And in our last episode, we were talking about the consciousness and intelligence of the universe and sort of why um, George uses um, God and the universe as synonymous, basically, and how it's different from traditional notions of God based on, you know, ancient books and authority, what people said this is true, therefore believe it. And this is kind of a new thing, because this is the first time I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I'm actually not satisfied with the term atheist anymore. It's like calling yourself like a non-racist or non-sexist, you know, like why would you use some label specifically to, to just, um, you know, describe a lack of something. And that's the problem, is it's a lack of something. It's describing that there's something that you lack, but it doesn't tell what you have. It doesn't tell what you do believe. And this is very important because um, atheists don't agree on anything, except that they don't believe in God, but they don't even agree on what God they don't believe in, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because, you know, one will grow up in a Hindu culture, one in a Muslim, one Jewish, one Christian, and they all have different things about God. And then they no longer think that that definition of, of God holds up. So then they say they don't believe in God and they call themselves an atheist, which is accurate dictionary-wise, um, that you don't believe in any god or gods. Um, but I think the problem is that that just leaves you with a blank piece of paper. That just leaves, well, I don't believe this thing I was taught to believe growing up. So then you have to start all over from scratch. And what do you believe? Um, and I find that the term atheist, while accurate, if God is defined as some man in it, that's outside of space-time and causality that is angry at people for sinning and wants to send them to hell, if that's the definition of God, then yes, I'm accurately described as atheist because I find it incoherent. But it, the term doesn't do justice to what I actually do on a daily basis, if that makes sense. Because, you know, I'm all, you know, anti-violence and love the animals and, you know, <laughs> and all the different things. So I guess I find that it doesn't do justice, um, whereas, you know, like, for example, determinism is, an, is, a, is, you know, when I say I'm a determinist, that means that I believe that everything has a cause, obviously, rather than calling myself um, an a-randomness, an a-randomist or an a-free willist or, or something like that, because then you're just saying that you don't believe a certain thing rather than something that you do believe. So I think maybe I've been approaching this wrong, and of course I can't blame myself, I don't have a free will, <laughs> you know, but I think maybe I just haven't been able to find more descriptive words to explain um, where I stand on things. Yeah, well, Chandler, it's 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 a bit, I think, a bit more complicated than that. In that, like, for example, like with atheism, with atheists, I mean, they could describe themselves as naturalists because that's really the view they they espouse. Naturalists or even scientists, you know, they reject faith, they reject faith-based conclusions. But that doesn't clearly enough, directly enough, express the thrust of their position, which is that like that the God as 
the vast majority of people understand God simply doesn't exist, or at least, you know, we've just added a lot to God that, that isn't there. So we have a similar problem with free will. In other words, like, you know, telling people that there is no free will, you know, as we were talking about before, it's a negative kind of thing. We're not saying what we're for, per se. We're saying what we're against. And we could, again, we could describe ourselves as, you, you know, we believe in universal will. You know, I think that, that's a good term and all. But again, like if we were to just use that term without referring to free will, people would, re, you know, would have no idea what, what we were talking about because it's a, it's a coin, it's a new term, whereas the, the, the term that they're familiar with, and I guess even that is like so misunderstood, this, this term of free will. So, so Chandler, I think, yeah, I think that the, the atheist position, as with our position against free will, we have problems in that we're, we're at this point, you know, needing to at a certain to a certain extent express our position in the sense of a negative but i think in both cases you know with 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 um with atheism kind of like depicted as naturalism or or science and free will disbelief you know being described as as like you know believing in a universal will i th- i think we we have to kind of like you know at th- at this point in in time continue to be you know somewhat against something so people understand, you know, um, what, what the context of our argument is about. Yeah, um, and particularly what's difficult is, you know, the, the conflicting definitions of free will, you know, the whole libertarianism, which is what we refute, and then the various compatibilistic notions, you know, which are like, well, if you do something, you did it of your own free will, you know. Um, so I think part of the problem is words always get confusing, and... What's difficult, and one challenge we have ahead of us is if somebody says, well, God is the universe, well, then somebody could argue, well, that you're trying to do a compatibilism, if that makes sense. They might say, well, the true definition of God is the Christian one or Muslim one or something, and and so then they accuse um, the pantheists of being dishonest. And so I guess there's a struggle there to... um, how do you prove which definition is the right one, if that makes sense? Well, I think, for example, like with, with the free will uh, debate, basically the, the argument was always about whether things are fundamentally up to us. You know, like this, this compatibilist, um, you know, version where like we're doing whatever it is. So, so we have a free will that was never in contestant. I mean, like no, nobody could reason because of course we're doing weird things, but our point was that, like, what we do is not up to us. So basically I think like in, in both Greek uh, philosophy and, and when, um, when Augustine coined the term free will, I think it's very clear. It's like, you know, to have free will is, is to be fundamentally morally responsible for what we do. So, you know, when, when we, when we bring the fundamental morality into it, I think the compatibilist argument falls away much more easily. But then, like, relating this to the, um, the atheist, or, you know, pantheist, um, for example, issue, um, I think it's my understanding that pantheism preceded um, Hinduism, Judaism, you know, Christianity. It really was like, you know, the, the most fundamental or our earliest understanding of God. I mean, like basically back then, before there were systems of thought, we believed we didn't understand why anything happened. 
and we attributed divinity to everything. You know, everything was a miracle because we, 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 you know, we, we didn't understand it. So in that sense, you know, um, pantheism really was the first kind of um, theism to exist. And then, like, it moved from pantheism to polytheism. Then it moved from polytheism to the monotheism of today. So I think we could claim that, that basically, like, you know, to be a pantheist is to really understand God as people, you know, earliest back understood God. Yeah, and and here's what's interesting about it is, you know, for mo most of us Americans, for example, and many other places, nobody is familiar. Like, you know, for most of my life, I was not familiar with polytheism. I was, I never heard of pantheism before I met you. I didn't know anything about Hinduism and Buddhism and stuff until I, until I searched that out and looked at some stuff. Um, but one thing, one thing that I found that interested me is that monotheism and polytheism, what, un, what made me not satisfied with those ideas is that they were always very anthropocentric. They were always focused on the idea of God as a human and that only human life matters. Humans are made in the image of God. And then that always opened up the question for me, well, then whose image are the dogs, the cats, the horses, the, the pigs, the, the rats, the amoebas, whatever made in? Well, that's a great point, Chandler. Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea that all is one and that there doesn't have to be a distinction between the different life forms is what appeals to me more. So as somebody who's against um, causing suffering to anything that's capable of feeling pain and when advocating veganism, that automatically means I will reject any religion that is pro-humans killing other humans or other animals. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, more philosophically, I think we can make the, 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 um, the assertion that there is no difference between God and we human beings or and the other animals. I mean, like, we are God. Like, for example, we're not the entirety of God naturally, but just like, for example, if we were in the Pacific Ocean, you know, any molecule of water in the Pacific Ocean, I think we would designate as Pacific Ocean. It's not naturally the entire Pacific Ocean, but, you know, God, you know, there isn't anything that isn't God. Everything is God. And, um, and yeah, I think to the extent that we, we hold that perspective, I think a pantheistic God, then, then we do have proper um, respect not just you know for human beings but for other life forms for 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 the entirety of of, of reality you know even even you know who knows extending beyond um what's what's living you know to inert matter to i think like you know there's certain societies that that revered everything revered rocks revered rivers you know i think that that kind of like um gives a certain kind of elevated dignity to reality and just like doesn't um it doesn't you know, separate, I think, um, reality between cert certain aspects. It, it doesn't create divisiveness. It, it, it creates a, a kind of like a, a unity consciousness. Yeah, and I like that because part of the problem we have in our world is the divisiveness. It's like there's us and them. 
And for example, the benefit of losing free will belief is that you're no longer on opposing sides. You know, good versus bad, us versus them. It's like, we're the good people because we chose to be this way. And those bad people chose to be fat, so let's fat shame them. <laughs> it's like, it's, that's the problem with it, is it creates divisiveness and hostility and hatred and war and all that. Yeah, and unfortunately, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and people refuse, not only do they refuse to a great extent to, to see that free will doesn't exist, you know, another problem is that they refuse to, to find any relevance in, in, in our understanding that it doesn't exist, whereas, I mean, the, the relevance couldn't be more significant, more influential to, to our entire civilization. I mean, to shift, for our world to shift from a free will based consciousness to a universal based consciousness couldn't be, you know, like Searle was right, you know, for our world to do this would represent a bigger revolution in our thinking than has ever happened before, including Einstein and everyone else. Yeah, it really is a bigger revolution than anybody can imagine. But I think part of the reason they fail to see the relevance of it because they don't see how it helps them. And I would say it's not so much the lack of free will that's the benefit, but it's the understanding of causality itself that is what I most get out of it. Because um, when you understand the cause of something happening, and that's something that you want it to happen, well then you try to cause it. You try to cause more of that thing to happen. And if it's something that you don't like to happen and you find the cause of it, then you automatically try to eliminate the cause. So the point is understanding causality enables us to get what we want. Chandler, yes, that, that's a very important point. You know, in other words, we move from this mysterious free will that's like uncaused or we, you know, like it's, it's mysterious to, oh, you know, there are reasons why we do things. There are reasons why we don't do things. And if we want to better do things, you know, we, it, it, it just it, it makes a lot of sense to understand how to do them, why we're doing otherwise and all. Yeah, and it, this is very important, George, because basically, um, for example, let's say that we were living in an A-causal universe where at, let's just say everything that happened happened for absolutely no reason well it would still be equally true under that system that we don't have a free will obviously because it wouldn't be up to us if things happened for no reason um, and that's a very important point so both you know a causality and causality refute free will but if things really were a causal this podcast would be pointless because we would not be able to really, um, we would not be able to work for changing things and making a better world because that would mean that what happened would be completely irrelevant to our understanding that we don't have a free will. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I just wanted to return to a point you made before, like that, you know, just the, the, the need to kind of like demonstrate the relevance of this and like, you know, we were talking about fat shaming before. We were talking about, like, even more so than fat shaming, just the um, two-thirds of Americans who are overweight. Okay, so, like, this, this issue of overweightness has uh, several benefits. One, I think, is it allows people to understand why they don't have a free will. I mean, like, you know, basically the challenge to free will believers is, like, 
Oh, so are you telling me that people of their free will choose to be overweight? Now, I have a feeling that, like, yeah, I have a feeling that the vast majority of overweight people would reject that categorically. They're, they would say to themselves, no, I, I'm overweight not because I, I, I'm choosing to be overweight. I'm overweight because, you know, factors beyond my control, which, which you know, reflects an understanding by them that, no, they do not have a free will. But, like, so, like, it not only, you know, is useful in, under, in helping people understand that they don't have a free will because they can apply that same reasoning to, you know, other aspects of their life, but it, it's very instrumental in, in showing people the harm of, of believing that we have free will. And that's where the, 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 the fat shaming um, comes in. In other words, when, when people blame other people for being fat, that creates a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of pain in people. That creates a lot of divisiveness, a lot of conflict, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. And, and it also, you know, like... Happiness is really what what our main drive and goal in life is is and um, one of the four personality traits that's most correlated with happiness is self-esteem, you know, liking oneself. And so the problem is like to the extent that somebody's overweight, they may not like the fact that they're overweight, and that's one problem. But an additional problem that's based solely on this free will belief is that that they blame themselves for being overweight. And that erodes their self-esteem, leading them to become less happy. And, and my guess is as they become less happy, they're more prone to eat more to try to regain that happiness. And then you have this spiral of, of increasing weight. So like, you know, this, this overweight problem in, in America, again, is not just an excellent way to demonstrate to people that no, we do not have a free will, but that the issue is extremely important. It's not trivial, it's not inconsequential, it has huge implications. Yeah, and here's another point, George, that's particularly important, is there's a sexism related to this fat shaming thing, as you know, because people are always picking on the fat women rather than the fat men. That, and that's a, that's a particularly bizarre thing. Because one of the problems, we live in a society where physical appearance and how you look makes an actual difference in whether you get hired for a job or not, you know, and there, like, you know, I've seen stuff like a video about, you know, some woman who really believed that she would, was not hired because she was overweight. And so what it comes down to is this becomes a matter of life or death because if people um, look at a fat person and assume they're lazy and therefore use that as an excuse to not hire them for a job, well then it becomes a bizarre thing because then it's, it becomes about survival and it becomes about people. Um, that's why people are so desperate, as we mentioned before. There are people who are so desperate to lose weight and some of them it's about health. Some of them, it's because they think their their husband or boyfriend won't won't love them anymore if they're if they get too fat. Some of them, it's because they're afraid they won't be able to get a job if they're too fat. So we understand that the very causes, just as people are not um, the free willing themselves into being fat in the first place, they are also not freely willing themselves to lose weight or even attempt to lose weight because the pressure from other people as well as the impacts on their own health are what compel them to do so.
Yeah, and I agree with you that, that this fat shaming is sexist. It, it tends to be more toward like not just men, but women blaming themselves for being overweight, whereas like it, the, the same criteria of judgment doesn't apply toward men. And here's the problem, like under free will belief, because let's say we want to correct that. Under free will belief, we have the understanding, well, that's just the way it is. People are just freely willing to blame, um, you know, women and not men so much for their overweightness. And with that kind of perspective, it doesn't invite solutions. Whereas like, you know, I might posit one reason why this, you know, the, the, the fat shaming and the blame toward women is much more prevalent than toward men is that I think that men are either culturally or maybe even genetically predisposed to look for a woman who's really healthy, you know, in, in a certain sense, meaning, you know, slender or something for the purpose of child rearing. In other words, like, you know, um, slenderness in women, you know, kind of like connotes physical health, which would connote like the health of the offspring and, you know, this, this whole re reproductive thing. Whereas like with men, I think a lot of, a lot of, um, women view men not in terms of their health. I think health, you know, is, is important, you know, but I think with, with men, it's more about security. In other words, like a woman will sometimes prefer an overweight man who's earning a lot of money to a slender man who's not because a woman is much more concerned with, with the security to be able to like afford the child and all that. So this is just one example of like, how you know the free will perspective invites no kind of understanding into the nature of why things are the way they are, and, and I, with that kind of perspective, it's really hard to change things. It's hard to change the prejudices, the biases, the, the unfairnesses. Where like as we abandon this free will belief and understand, wait a minute, there's causes why why men are blaming women much more than women blaming men for their overweightness and all. You know that is the beginning of understanding how to overcome those kinds of biases and prejudices. Yeah, and see this is very important because what we what you just did is you know you kind of explained some of the reasons for why the fat shaming has been focused more on the women than the men. Because in this society for the various reasons that you mentioned, it seems to be more important for a man to make lots of money than to look a certain way. Whereas the way a woman looks, I guess, is supposedly tied in with some biological desire to reproduce or something. So, we're, you know, this is helpful because at least you're understanding some of the causes behind why there is this sexism and fat shaming. Aside from the fact that it shouldn't be happening because it's based on free will belief and just irrational. Um, but you know that that's what it's all about is understanding why things happen the more detail you have the more you can try to correct it yeah and and this brings us also to the issue of denial because i think denial is one of the 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 major harms of free will belief that that this causes problems across the board for example in this instance like if if you tell a guy who's like really you know blaming women for their um, overweightness, you know, if, if you, you know, tell them that they're wrong to do that and they believe in free will, they're going to like be feeling personally responsible for that feeling and they're going to deny it. They're, you know, they're, because they're feeling personally indicted. 
you know, and so this free will belief, you know, encourages people to deny things. Whereas like if you explain to the person, listen, we're not blaming you because basically you're predisposed both biologically and culturally probably to prefer women who are uh, less, you know, who weigh less and all. All of a sudden, you know, the person who's like, you know, expressing this bias doesn't feel personally blamed and is, is much more likely to then not only look at the evidence objectively, but then be amenable to change because they're, they're not having to resort to this defense mechanism of denying something simply because they're, they're indicted on it based on free will belief. Yeah, this is important, George, because it's really hard. Like, for example, it's very easy, I think, to get the message that people are victims of their circumstances. Um, and that we're not blaming them, but I think when as soon as they start realizing that even the people who are hurting them, you know, with their blaming and free will based hatred and stuff, that we're not blaming those people either. That we're not truly trying to place the blame on any on any human being because we know that that's logically impossible to do. Exactly, and again, like sometimes when we explain that, some people will say, well, you know, like, if you don't blame anything, anyone for anything, then that's like anarchy. That's like, you know, that's like, and, and but we're not saying that. In other words, like, yeah, one of our problems is we have to, you know, this is, it's not a completely simple issue. We have to explain the nuances of it. For example, like, no, we're not saying that we don't punish and reward. We're, we're actually saying that we punish and reward because we don't have a free will. We're predisposed to seek pleasure and avoid pain and that's the rationale why we punish and blame. But, but naturally what we're saying is like so much of the, the we, we tend to punish so much more severely than is necessary, than makes sense, than is actually beneficial. So, like, so we're just advocating for a much more intelligent you know, understanding of ourselves in relation to reality so we treat ourselves and each other better. So, so, so our, wor our world is much more harmonious. Yeah, and here's what's particularly interesting, George, because there is one major problem with free will belief, and this is this is related to climate change too, um, because you know when people become aware that what humans are doing is destroying the planet and changing the temperatures and and will ca causing all kinds of major catastrophes. Well, then those pe a lot of these people believe in free will, and they are blaming the people who, are, who they see as contributing to the problem the most. So then they, some of them they hate, some of them want to get violent, some of them want to kill those people in order to stop them from polluting the planet and stuff like that. So part of the problem is that by free will belief, even being even being aware that something is a harmful thing, um, if you still believe in free will and your solution is to go around killing people as a solution to the problem, well then you've become the killer. You've become the dangerous hazard, and that's where it's difficult. You've got the environmentalists hating, you know, the oil companies and and all that. You've got the vegans hating the carnists, and so th what's so important is that. We have to get our message to these people who they've got the right sense, like 
I agree with them in the sense that, yes, here's so what we need to be doing. Here's our message. People need to go vegan. They, they need to, to change their practices. We need to convert to electric cars, you know, all these things. Um, but they, if they don't do it under a determinist perspective, if they do it under a free will based perspective, they come across as arrogant and rude and nobody listens to them, meaning it's, they're completely wasting their time. Chandler, that, that's an excellent point. And, and like, you know, basically a lot of people still don't acknowledge that climate change is happening. But as these years progress, it's going to be more and more undeniable and it's going to create more greater and greater challenges. And if we approach that world from this free will belief, I can guarantee you that everyone's going to be blaming everyone else. And there's going to be so much conflict, you know, perhaps, you know, increased warfare and all. And like versus if we if we overcome this this really insidious this very extremely harmful free will belief now, then the hope is that we can like approach this climate change in a much more cooperative way that we're not we're not like distracted from solving the problem by blaming ourselves or for, or by running away from it by denying that it's happening because we believe in free will and we believe we're causing it. So like yeah, this 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 free will belief is extremely harmful and to the extent we can overcome it, you know, we can face the future much more productively and intelligently. Yes, I mean, and there's so many major um, challenges we have ahead of us and that's why now more than ever, it's important for people to understand that we're, we have causal wills rather than the free or random wills or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, um, and we just passed our 30 minutes, so we probably need to close out this episode. Um, you've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs and George Ortega, and we got a little bit off of our original topic about, about you know, God and, and religion, definitions of God, but we got into very important things about why it's important for people to lose the free will belief, because it enables them to solve problems better once they understand the causes of human behavior and why people do what they do. So I hope you've gotten something out of this, and we're going to be doing more episodes. So thanks for listening, and goodbye.